Okay, God bless you for being here this morning. Um, as you can see, a number of object lessons here. Um, just as a little warning here, um, I will give the children an opportunity to come and sit on the front bench for the first part of the sermon here. So, a uh, sermon especially geared for children, so if they would like to come, they can think about it, and I'll be asking them if they would like to come here just a little bit later. Um, in our Lancaster County churches, we had, we were, every minister was given the opportunity to, to uh, choose a subject that he would like to give in their home church and also in the other churches. So uh, this is my third time going through this uh, message, and I chose to do a, a message for children. Um, I taught school a number of years, uh, not a full-time teacher, but a part-time teacher of Bible classes for a number of years, and I enjoy um, talking with children. I enjoy talking to children. Um, children don't fall asleep when they, when they uh, are disinterested. They get restless, you know. So, um. so the message this morning then is geared, is geared for children. Um, I gave the message in, at Weavertown here a few weeks back on the the day of, of the National Children's Day. And so they had a Sunday morning when they were, had a sermon, a, a worship service that was geared for children. So I had the sermon then. I had it at Peckway a few um, number of months before that. But I'd like to do it here this morning. So if, um, for the children then, if you would like to come up, uh, say from ages 5 to 10 or 12, you're welcome to come up and sit on the front bench, and we'll have at least the, the first part of the message will be uh, geared uh, toward children, and we'll have kind of a children's class here, and the rest of you can listen in if you care to. So if you want to come front and you want to sit on the bench in the front, you're not obligated to, but you're welcome to if you would want to. So just come up and sit on the front bench. Why don't you sit? Why don't you sit over on this side, okay? Now sit over here. Okay, good. Wow, number of children. It's good. All right. Well, we don't, we don't often have Sunday morning sermons that are especially geared to children, do we? So, but I'd like to have you involved in the sermon here this morning. So I brought a number of things along with me. Um, there's milk and water. There's some honey. I have a lighter, a hammer, some money, a lamp, an anchor, a mirror, a little pack of seeds. Um, so for the children, all of these things that I, I brought here this morning are like something, okay? These, all of these different things are like one thing. I'd like for you to guess what it might be. What do you think all of these things would be like? 
Somebody want to guess? Somebody want to try? No? What do you think all of these things might be like? Nobody wants to try. Okay. How about other teenagers in the audience? right. Yeah, that's right. All of these things are like the Bible. Okay? All of these things are like the Bible. And so, for the first few minutes here, I want to talk to you about a few things. But um, let's think about let's think about the Bible. What, what, do you, what do you think this is? What do you think this is? Huh? A lantern? Yeah, it's a lantern, right. How do you turn it on? You want to try turning it on? You want to try it? Oh, good. You got it, right. Yeah, and then I have a, a little flashlight here, too. A little flashlight, okay. Well, we find... Um, Okay, I'm going to get my notes in the right order here. Yep, so, okay. In Psalm, um, in Psalm 119, it says, Thy word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So how is the Bible like a lamp and a light? How's the Bible like a lamp and a light? How's the Bible like a lamp? Oh. Do we live in a dark world? Well, it's not dark outside right now, is it? Right, so we have sunlight right now. But we still live in a dark world, don't we? So the world has lots of sin and evil and wickedness and... Satan seems to be able to do a lot of bad things in the world, can't he? Right. So the world is really a dark place. And so the Bible is like a lamp and a light for us because it gives us light and tells us where to go and how to go, right? Okay, so when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, it'll tell us where to go and how to go. And it does that by telling us how to live. Right, so thy word is a lamp unto my feet. So the Bible is like a light that gives you light on the path. It tells you how to go. And as you use the Bible as your lamp, even in a dark world, it'll keep you from getting lost. Even in a dark world, it'll keep you from getting lost. And so the Bible is very, very important for us. And so when you, if you want to know how to go in life, and you want to know what kind of decisions to make? Read the Bible. The Bible will give you direction in life. Now, I'd like to read um, the other thing that the Bible is. So here, what do you, is, 
What do you think this is? What is it? Milk. Yeah, this is milk. You know, the Bible says that the Bible is like milk. You know that? The Bible is like milk. I'd like to read uh, just a couple of verses. I'd like to read just a couple of verses from Hebrews. And so, now these verses are maybe a little bit hard for children to understand, but I want you to think about this a little bit. It says, For when for a time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Okay, so let me explain these verses a little bit. Um, the writer is saying that people become Christians. People become Christians. And so when people first become Christians, they're like baby Christians, right? They're like baby Christians. And so the Bible is saying that it's not wrong for a baby Christian to have milk. So some of you probably have little brothers and sisters that need milk, right? You have little brothers and sisters that need milk? A baby needs lots of milk and needs lots of milk often. And so the Bible is saying there's nothing wrong with the baby needing milk. But how would, how would you like if your dad, if your dad was still just drinking milk? When you sit down at the table, your dad just drinks milk. He doesn't eat anything else. You think that'd be cool? Huh? No. Well, this, the, writer, the writer in Hebrews was saying that people become Christians and they're baby Christians, but guess what? They stay baby Christians for a long time, and that's not good. That's not good. So baby Christians need milk. The other thing that's really interesting now, so babies, you have to do everything for them, right? Baby isn't able to help itself. Sometimes we have grown Christians that are high maintenance too, you know? Sometimes we have grown Christians that need a lot of help. And, the, and, and I think there in Hebrews it's saying, you know what? We should outgrow that stage pretty quick. You know, so if a, a person lives to be 80 years old, guess what? He only spends the first year drinking milk. After that, he starts eating other food, and he doesn't, oh, sure, you drink milk, you know, but not because you need the bottle, right? Not because you need the bottle. And so it's important for us to think about growing up in our Christian lives. A Christian that needs milk is maybe one that just, just uh, relates to, say, the Bible stories. So he doesn't really learn from the Bible uh, what he should be learning. So he listens to the Bible stories, and he may listen to a sermon, and he says, oh, that's a great sermon, but next Sunday he doesn't even remember what it was. You know. Um, so let's think about, let's think about milk. Now, the other part of milk that, we, that comes through in Scripture, we find in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit, and then I'll let you go back to your parents again. 1 Peter chapter 2. Hmm. 
1 Peter chapter 2, it says, As newborn babes, this is another part of milk now. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, if you have a little baby brother or sister in your family, guess what happens when they get hungry and they want milk? What do they do? Huh? They cry. They're not very patient, right? If they, want, if they get hungry and they want milk, they want it like right now. They want it right now. Well, the other aspect of milk in the Bible then is that if we are Christians and we really want to be growing in our Christian lives, we should want the Bible just like a baby wants milk. We should want the Bible just like a baby wants milk. And so, well, maybe we shouldn't kick and scream for the Bible, but we should want the Bible really bad, right? And so it's important for us to think about milk. It's important for us to think about, about getting milk, but also later then, not being on milk real long, but later being able to have the solid food from the Bible and be able to grow and be, uh, be strong in our Christian lives. Okay, you can go back to your parents again. So for the rest of the message then, I'd just like to go through some of these, um, through some of these illustrations and talk about some of these. There's a, a verse in um, 1 Corinthians, two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I'd like to um, highlight. Again, talking about food. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto were you not able to bear it, neither yet are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men. So the milk is important for, for young Christians. Milk is very important for young Christians, but we shouldn't stay on milk very long. You know, so you think about a person living for 80 years and the first, just the first year of his life is spent on milk, you know, so that's one 80th of his life, right? And so we should very, very quickly outgrow milk and be able to digest um, solid food and in the process of that also become less dependent on other people. And so I think, I think we have um, today, I think we have, we have way too many high-maintenance Christians. We have way too many high-maintenance Christians. And so the goal of a child then, of a, for parents, with a child is then to be able to... Oh, thank you for that, um, Alvin. Thank you. The goal for parents then with their children is to have them become independent and be able to take care of themselves. And so you get to that stage, but then even beyond that is to be able to contribute. You know, so 
you want, a, you want a child to get off of milk, to be able to take care of themselves, but then also to get to the place where they can contribute. You know, so we think about Christians, and we think about con contributing, and so we think about con contributing to the church and contributing to a community. And so that's very, very important for us to be able to, to think about that. And, um, and I think... Um, as we grow and mature in our Christian lives, that should be the place where we come to. It should be the place where we come to. We become contributing kind of people and not people that always need. And, and you know, there's a sense in which we never outgrow the need for the church. And we always, we often, I shouldn't say we often, at, there are times when we find ourselves in certain stages of life when we need other people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we shouldn't be in a perpetual state of always needing other people. We should also be in a state of being able to contribute uh, to other people. Um, I have also um, here, I have a little bag of money, which is like, this is like gold, okay? And I also have some honey. And the Bible in Psalm 19, 9 and 10, talking about the Bible, it says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. The thing that I find interesting with both honey and money is both of them are addicting. Both of them are addicting. So... There's people that, you know, so they have a sweet tooth. They always need, I, I like kind of like something sweet every day, you know. So um, my wife keeps, you, you know, uh, my, my wife keeps, often keeps some cookies in the freezer. A frozen cookie to me is just, that's just the best. A frozen cookie. I like, I like it. And so my son and I sometimes were helping ourselves to the freezer to these frozen cookies, and then Gene wants to serve some and finds the containers empty. <laughs> and so, but money is a little, money is addicting also. And uh, people, people will go to great lengths and uh, great measures to, to get more money. And so both money and honey can, are addicting, but... The Bible says God's word should be like that in our lives too. God's word should be addicting. We should be addicted to, you know, reading and studying God's word and learning from it. And so I think that's very, very important for us as we think about the Bible. Um, some people will do almost anything to get more money. They will do almost anything to get more money, and, uh, and they, should be, they should be channeling that toward God's word. They should be channeling that toward God's word. So the Bible is like honey. It's also like money. Um, the other one is a seed. Um, oh, it fell down? I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I brought a little pack of seeds along. I brought a little pack of seeds. We talked about seeds this morning in um, Sunday school. God's word is like seed. And the one parable, the seed was, you know, like a mus uh, mustard seed, a very small seed, grows up to be a big plant, and so on. So God's word is like seed. 
uh, a verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Well, a number of years ago, I'm a farmer, so a number of years ago, um, we plant cover crop in the fall, usually rye or oats or something. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to grow some of my own cover crop this year. And I did. I had a small field, I had rye in there, and so we grew our own cover crop. I said, I don't, I don't, that way I don't have to buy it, you know. So we ran it through a combine and we uh, put it in a wagon. And it was just, I kind of forgot about it. It was in a wagon for a couple months before I needed to plant it. Well, what I didn't think about was that when it went into the wagon, it was a little bit wetter than it should have been. When I got it out, it was a little moldy. And when I planted it, it didn't grow well. I had corruptible seed. I had corruptible seed, uh, seed that didn't grow well. And the Bible says, the Bible, the Bible says about itself, it said it's, it's not corruptible. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In our Sunday school lesson, it talks about this this morning too, but, you know, God's word, when you plant God's word in your heart, in your life, or God's word gets planted in other people, guess what? It will always bring a harvest. God's word is not corruptible like my rye seed was. It's not corruptible. It's incorruptible. It will always... It will always bring a harvest. A verse in um, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, and when you talk about missions and you talk about, you know, spreading the word of God, sometimes it seems like, you know, you're doing a lot of work, but you don't see many results. Well, claim the verse in Isaiah 55, verse 11. It says, So shall my word be that goeth forth, out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. And God's word will always produce something. Good fruit. Good fruit. God's word is, you know, so we have a children's ministry in Coatesville, and we go down there, we kind of run with the school year, so we go down there and we, some of us have like the Bible classes for the, the children there. And so you have about 15 minutes for a Bible class, you know. And wow, it's, you know, whatever. Uh, children are lots of energy and, you know, you're in a, you know, maybe 15 of them in a small room and this kind of thing, you know. But when we, when we present God's word, it's different. When you present God's word to children like that, it is different than playing a game with them. It is different than doing a craft with them. Because you have the promise. 
We have the promise that the time you spend giving them God's word will not return void. The word void means, actually the word void there means the same as it does in Genesis, uh, beginning of uh, Genesis where it talks about the earth being um, the earth being um, uh, the, the translation is formless and void, uh, empty. The earth was empty in Genesis chapter 1 before God started the creation process. The earth was empty. Uh, in this verse it says the, God's word will not return empty. And it's, it, is, it is interesting to see how God's word does impact um, people, children, and, um, and see how that works with uh, the, the promise that God gave. So you want to channel your energies into something that really has God's promise for a, a fruitful return. Uh, spend your energy and time spreading God's word, and uh, it, will not, it will not return to you void. God's word is also like water. God's word is also like water, that he might, uh, Ephesians 5, 25, um, I'll just read verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So water is, we use water every day. We can't do without water, right? We use it for drinking, we use it for cleaning, we use it for washing. Um, just water, we need water. In fact, it's kind of interesting today, so they send all these little probes and all these little things to other planets, but one thing they always look for is water. Because they think, they, the, the logic is that if there's some moisture there or some water there, possibly people live there at one time because you need water, you know, so. But maybe God, maybe God actually created some creatures that don't need water, I don't know. But I don't expect to ever find life on another planet somewhere. If you look at the creation story in Genesis 1, God created the earth, he created the solar system, the stars, but he created the earth. He created the earth as a habitation for man. No other place in the universe was made to be inhabited. And I think it's still that way. Think you agree with me, Wayne? I do. Yeah, I think it's still that way. Uh, unless, unless we use some major kind of life support, I don't think we're ever going to live somewhere else. The earth was made for the habitation of man, and God provided everything on the earth we need. Water and air and, you know, everything we need to... And um, you think about... You think about, even in the universe, the extremes of temperature in the universe and the extremes of... of environments and so on. We live in the, in the earth, we live in a very delicate balance. And so, like in the next few days, they're calling for some really warm weather, but you look at the temperature of the sun and you say, whoa, the warm weather is just, you know, hardly any variety at all, you know, so yeah. And uh, we live in a delicate balance there, but God made the earth that way. And so water, um, in John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to Peter. He said, if I wash thee not, you know, he's talking about the water that he's using for feet washing. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. 
So, so the washing of the word is, is very, very important in our Christian lives. I forgot to bring my sword this morning. I had one, a machete. Forgot to bring it this morning, so I, I don't have that object lesson. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is interesting, part of an armor, because it's different than the shield or the helmet. The shield of helmet is like personal protection. Well, the, the sword can also be used for personal protection, but the sword is also used to damage the enemy. It's also used to damage the enemy, and so God's word, God's word can be used to damage Satan and the Satan and the satanic kingdom. Yeah, it's... It's good for personal protection, but it can also, a helmet or a shield won't do that, you know. It's personal protection only. But the sword can also be used for damage uh, on the enemy. And so, today, um, it's interesting today. We live in some really, really interesting times. And um, I, it would just be interesting to, to, to be able to live ahead far enough that we could look back on some things like the, like the pandemic and see how, exactly how it fits into prophecy, you know. But um, God, today, we, we see Satan as being, you know, like rampant, you know. So we have Ukraine and we have other things. But, but God is still in control of everything that takes place on the earth. You believe that? God is in control of everything that takes place on the earth, and he puts limits on Satan's activity. He puts limits on Satan's activity. And, uh, and I think the Bible is very much a part of that, um, placing limits on Satan's activity. So God's word... God's word is very, very effective. It's like a sword that can damage the enemy. We also have, um, looks like I'm going to have to keep moving here a little bit. We also have uh, the Bible as a sword, uh, as a hammer, uh, a hammer and fire. So a little lighter here, I guess it's good. Yeah, okay, fire. So a hammer and fire. Jeremiah 23, verse 29, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So fire purifies. It's used to refine uh, iron and gold and silver metals. It's, it's a refining uh, force. Uh, fire, we use fire to burn trash. Uh, we use fire for warmth. We use fire for light. So fire has lots and lots of uses. A hammer we use to break uh, rocks. Um, a hammer can be used, uh, God's word, a hammer can be used to break hard hearts. I had a friend a number of years ago, he was a stonemason. And so he would take a stone, you know, and he would kind of look at it, turn it a little couple ways and maybe flip it over and look at it. And he had a hammer, stone uh, stonemason hammer, he would have a hammer, and he could hit that thing just like two or three times, and the rock would just break right where he wanted it to, you know. 
And so if I try to do that, I could bang on a rock all day and, you know, it hardly chip it very much, you know. But he knew how to do it, you know. God's word is like the stonemason, so God's word is, is uh, good at breaking hearts. Uh, we can use God words, God's word to break bad habits, and uh, God's word is powerful in that way, and God knows exactly where to hit to make it, to make it break, right? Yeah, and so it's good to be able to do that. An anchor, I just brought a picture of an anchor. Um, I guess anchors are still used on ships today, I guess. Are they? Are they still used on ships today? Probably. Um, but years ago, they would, the anchor was always designed in such a way that it would, when you drop it into the water, uh, to the bottom of the ocean or wherever you are, and, and as the ship would drift, as the ship would drift, the anchor was designed in such a way that it would always, it didn't matter how you dropped it, it always caught the bottom of the ocean and, and, and dug in the dirt or the mud and kept the ship in place. And so anchors were, were designed in that way and, and the longer the, longer the, the rope, the more tight the anchor would hold. And so it would keep the, the ship from drifting. And um, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And it's talking about God's word. You know, today, uh, again, we, we think about our world today and the, the unrest and the, you know, just the, just uh, many, uh, like the turmoil that we have in our world today. And I, I find in my own life, if I, I mean, I, mean I, I look back, I look back 60 years, and I've, you know, I don't re remember any time in the world that would kind of simulate what we have today. And if, if, if there's ever a time when we need an anchor, it is today. I don't see I don't see how people survive without an anchor. I don't see how people make it. God's word is an anchor for us. The Bible has thousands of promises that we can claim. Read God's word and claim the promises and anchor yourself in the word of God. <laughs> I think it's a matter of survival to be able to do that. But, it, but God has provided for us with, a, with an anchor in his word. God provided, provides an anchor for us. And, you know, we look at um, our own country. We look at other countries of the world. And we talked about Ukraine a little this morning. And we need, we need something we need something that we can put down that keeps us from drifting. Um, and I, you know, to think about living through this kind of turmoil 
and not having the Word of God, not having an anchor is, it's a hopeless feeling. It's a hopeless feeling. We need an anchor. The Bible is also like a mirror. The Bible is also like a mirror. The book of James says, if you look in a mirror, and you walk away from it, well, you look in a mirror and you see things that need to be corrected in like your appearance or whatever, and you walk away from it and you don't do anything about it, that's, 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 you're being foolish. You're being like a fool. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a parable of the, of the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. If you're building your house on the sand, it's like you're looking in the mirror. You're looking in God's Word. You walk away from it. You don't do anything about it. You feel God prompting you in your, in your life. You feel God prompting you, but you don't do anything about it. If you're building your house on the rock, you're looking into God's words. You feel God prompting your heart. And you, you're, you're doing something, right? You're obedient. You hear. You hear what needs to be done. And you do it. It's interesting that the Bible, um, and I know we get, maybe get into a little bit of eschatology here, but here's a verse. There's a verse in First um, Peter chapter 24, I should just read those verses. 1 Peter First Peter 1, verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the gospel, which, and this is the word by which, which by the gospel is preached unto you. I'm, this verse tells me, my, my interpretation of this verse is that the Bible as we know it, the 66 books as we know it, will live forever. Am I taking that out of context? Huh? I believe this is going to endure. What do you think, Wayne? Is this going to endure forever? In the book of Revelation, and I, uh, okay, so... In the book of Revelation, there's a, there's a description of the judgment. And it says the books were opened and, and people were judged by what was written in the books. And, and I, I don't know, I'm not sure where I'm personally on this, but there's a, an interpretation of that that says the books that were opened there were the 66 books of the Bible as we have them today. And people were judged by those 66, by the Bible as we have it today. That's pretty serious. And so we should think about, yeah, being acquainted with the Bible because we're going to be judged by it. Yeah. Here's just a little thing yet I'd like to, uh, I'd like to give. And um, 
Um, you, know, you may not totally agree with my, with my uh, ideas here. Then I want to close. So I was in teaching Bible at school, third and fourth grade, and sometimes we would do a few other things just to break up the class time. Well, I was doing a sword drill. You know, a sword drill is, you know, you give a reference, children find that in the Bible and see who can find it first and so on. I discovered in my class, third and fourth graders, there's some that couldn't find the reference. I discovered in third and fourth grade, there were some that couldn't find a reference. You give them a book with the chapter and the verse, and they weren't able to find it. Um, here, here's, a, here's a challenge for you, for you as fathers. And I know we, we're all into electronics and so on. But here's a challenge for you as fathers is to have your children familiar with the book. Okay, so it's one thing to find a reference on the phone where you just put, you know, you just put it in. But it's another thing to be familiar with the book and be able to find a reference in the book. Huh? Um, so is there, is there a possibility that we may have a, a generation of children growing up that don't understand the book. No? And I know, you're, you're probably telling me I'm old school. You know. You're probably telling me I'm old school. But wouldn't it be important for children to understand that the Genesis is in the beginning and Revelation is at the end and Psalms is in the middle? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be important for children to understand that? And maybe have a, at least a sense of where the minor and the major prophets are and the Gospels and the books of prophecy and so on. Wouldn't that be important for a child to learn that and grow up with that knowledge? I think it would be. Yeah, I think it would be. But unless they're taught, unless children are taught. And this is a wonderful opportunity if you want to do something for family devotions is get your children to bring their Bibles the fam not the phones. The Bible is the family devotions that learn how to find a reference and be familiar with the order of Scripture and so on. In my third and fourth grade, I would, sometimes I would give an Old Testament reference and, the, and I saw they were paging through the end of their Bible. They were looking in the New Testament for an Old Testament reference. Third and fourth grade, that's like 12 years old, 10 years old. Well, some things like that, I think, are, I, we need to cultivate some things like that if we want them to continue, and we want our children to grow up with that. And so I would just kind of leave that as a challenge. If you want to tell me I'm kind of an old fogey and I don't know how to, how to do the modern stuff, that's fine, you know. But I, I think it would be important for children to learn that. All right, I'm going to bring this to a close. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the day and the blessing of being here this morning and the blessing of your word. Thank you that your word lives forever. Thank you that your word is powerful. Your word will not, not return to you void. Even in our hearts, it will, not, it, will, it will not return void. And so we pray that you would impress upon us the need of becoming familiar with your word and understanding it and being able to apply it and be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen.